You are listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Okay, welcome back, everyone. This is Michael Glenn Moore. I'm Scott's co-host. And I just wanted to mention that I have another podcast called In a City Like Yours. And that is how I met Scott. I interviewed him back in... 2019 and we did an interview and I enjoyed it so much and he's such an expert on what he does that we decided to start our own podcast and here we are. Uh, Scott, what are we talking about today? Well, Michael, uh, we're going to talk about relapse and just just so, so our audience knows that you know we're, we're called uh, Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour and our focus, uh, Michael and mine, is to really be a resource uh, for the family. Um, I'm a crisis coach I'm a crisis interventionist, I'm a family navigator, and I run an outpatient program here in San Diego called Confidential Recovery, and my website is yourcrisiscoach.com, and my phone number is 619-993-2738, 619-993-2738, and what I do is I try to help families understand what's in front of them when they have a loved one who has an issue whether it be a behavioral health issue or and or mental health issue or more focused around the addiction issue, uh, whether it be alcohol, self-medication, gambling, or any, any other issue that has to do with a maladaptive behavior where someone is just, you know, self-medicating for whatever reasons it might be. And my job, I see it as to help the family, you know, choose the best level of care, understand what the different levels of care might be. And um, excited about today because today what we're going to be talking about is uh, relapse. And relapse is something I just Googled it today. I want to just read it. Uh, what, does, what does it mean to have a relapse? A person who's trying to stop using drugs can make mistakes, feel bad, and start using again. This return to drug use is called relapse. Relapse is common and normal and happens to a lot of people recovering from drug addictions. People will often have one or more relapses along the way. That's the way of the path of recovery. And the things we've shared in past podcasts is when an individual, the average individual, goes into a 28-day inpatient program and does nothing else, nothing else. After that 28-day program, there's a chance of up to 95% that they will be relapsing. So that is pretty significant when you think about it because recovery is not a one-week, one-month event. Recovery is a decision one makes for the rest of their life, but they only have to do it one day at a time. So, you know, some of the questions that I know I get asked, you know, is it normal to relapse? Well, again, obviously, if there's a 95% relapse rate in the industry of treatment, clearly the majority of the people who do get sober relapse. 
And I think part of the reason that happens, from my experience, is once an individual gets clean and sober, once an individual gets off of their mood-altering substances, their self-medication, or whatever behavior that they've been, you know, participating in that they haven't been able to control, or it controlled them, or it, you know, created some major issues in their life and their lifestyle with themselves and their individual families, what happens is they get clean, they get sober, they get in recovery, and they kind of have this, uh, what's called the honeymoon period. They feel good, they feel like they're back in control, and they really feel like they've got their life in order again. And what happens with that kind of behavior is an individual potentially will go back and experiment again, maybe even in a small way. They might even try something different. So, for example, if somebody was a big drinker and they've been told alcohol will kill them, they may start with something else if they decide at some point in their early recovery uh, that they are, you know, feeling bad that day or sad that day or they miss uh, their drug of choice because when most people who are addicted to substances that becomes their best friend and relapse is something that happens over time meaning on Wednesday you're having a bad day Wednesday night you decide to start drinking or using again normally according to relapse dynamics and this is public domain information you can research it an individual has been in what's called relapse dynamics for many hours many days before the actual event itself and what happens is the tools that an individual gets in treatment, they'll start to apply and then maybe back off a little bit. Example, for me, when I got sober, I went to meetings every day. And when I'd stopped going to meetings, I was having difficulty processing some of the things that happen on a daily basis. And also keep in mind that when you first get sober, you first get clean or you still you start abstaining, if you will, you're spending about 60 hours a week without being under the influence. So just learning how to live life on life's terms in early recovery is really complicated and very unusual. Because think about it, you're under the influence. For those who are listening to this who know someone, or you may have been in, you know, uh, under the influence yourself or taking medication to you know, feel better or just get through the day or deal with your depression, anxiety, where the feelings are going on, you were under the influence many hours. I figure the average person's probably loaded about 60 hours a week or they're at least impaired from what they're doing with what they're putting in their body. So now all of a sudden you've decided you're going to take whatever it is that you've been putting in your body and you're going to stop doing it because of a lot of different negative outcomes from the self-medication. And I'm using my terms. I mean, if you want to replace them with, you know, alcohol or uh, gambling, food issues, whatever it might be, whatever issue you've got going on that's triggering this uh, self-consumption of something that's creating this mood altering mind state for you think about how much free time you're going to have when you stop or if you've already stopped and you've got this free time a lot of people don't get explained to them what's about to take place so you're in this rather rather unusual portal trying to figure out what to do how do i process this what happens here what do i do with all this free time and that's when you know i call it the stinking thinking starts to kick in and that's when relapse can start to become part of the journey does that make sense michael yes it does uh what I want to ask you now is if you have a loved one, if you are someone who has a loved one or a friend who has a, has a person close to you that is in recovery, what are the warning signs that they are in relapse or about to relapse? Well, a, a good sign simply is somebody who all of a sudden, you know, their behavior shifts and they're not sleeping well 
or their level of tolerance uh, is very short. They've got a short trigger. They're reacting negatively. They're upset about things. They're not processing well. They're getting depressed. Because most people, again, who are under the influence of something mood-altering, when you remove that medication, now they're having to deal with life, you know, like the average person does. But they don't know necessarily know how to process it effectively. So it could be increased food consumption, decreased appetite, sleep pattern changes, behavioral patterns, anger, uh, quick to, to, you know, to go off the handle, if you will, and basically isolation, self-pity, low self-esteem, all the triggers that you saw before, well, someone was under the influence, but now they're doing it without being under the influence. And those kind of things, they're painful. I mean, when you're sad and you feel bad, it, you know, and you don't know how to for better, lack of a better word, you don't know how to fix it or feel better organically, you're going to do what you've always done and you'll go back to what you were doing. And that's when relapse kicks in. And that's why, you know, if you think about it, relapse is, is if it's symptomatic and it's problematic and it's consistent with the recovery process, meaning a lot of people, it happens to them multiple times in many cases, the question begs, why not look at it as something positive, meaning take advantage of it and see it as a tool and not punish somebody, not be punitive about it. But, you know, we, we have a saying in our program that when people relapse, we kick them in the program. We don't kick them out of the program. And there are a lot of programs that when you relapse, people say, why don't you come back when you're ready? And most people that do relapse, you know, it isn't something they're doing because they want to celebrate their recovery. They're doing it because they don't really know how to process some feelings in their recovery. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, when, when one relapses, it's not because they have lost control. It's just a normal part of recovery. Now, if my loved one is in the process of relapsing or has relapsed, what can be done at my, on my level? Well, essentially, it's, it's crucial, if you will, to take action right away. So if, if one senses, for example, my wife and I had a mechanism set up where we had that we called it a code blue, that when she, as my significant other, who, you know, went through family week when I went through treatment was given some tools and that her job, her role was she, when she saw me taking something too far or overreacting or, you know, having a temper tantrum, she, her job was to say code blue. And the, and the, the code blue to me was to let me know I need to stop for a second, take a deep breath. And then we kind of talked it through. And then I, you know, I wrote it down and then I took that event to my group that week and I discussed it to get more tools so, you know, what's important, I think, is we have to change how we view relapse. You know, what is a relapse? What, what can we do about it? What do we do to not only prevent it, but also what happens when it happens? What do we do with that relapse? How do we leverage that in a positive way? So you spend time reflecting on it. You look to get support around it. You get back into treatment if that's an opportunity or an option for you. Then you make the appropriate necessary changes. And more importantly, you forgive yourself. You know, and you work on developing healthier habits or healthy habits, if you will. It's not a failing. It's just part of the process. It's kind of like, think of a competitive sports person. You know, they get these high-level skills. They go out, let's use football. They go out to the playing field, and they don't do as well as they did before. What Some action they took caused a major error, and they didn't win the game. Well, you don't give up. You practice some more. You fine-tune your skill sets, you get feedback from your coach, talk to the players, 
and then you learn from what happened. So to me, it's a platform for learning. That's the way I like to look at relapse. And I, I can remember early on, to be honest with you, Michael, when I was first getting sober, I used to get mad at people that relapsed because, you know, when I sat down with my sponsor and he said, why are you upset? I said, what it came down to was I was jealous. I resented the fact that they got to go back out and use again, but not enough to say to myself, I want to jeopardize my own recovery. I just felt bad for them. And then the way I started to turn it around, I was grateful that they went out and experimented for me. I didn't have to go out and do it. So I was very lucky, but that was my commitment to my recovery. You know, I used fear as a big motivator. It was, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to lose the momentum I'd built up. I didn't want to disappoint my family. I didn't want to disappoint myself. And to be honest, I didn't want to start over again. You know, and with my 35 years today, you know, I know that relapse can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter how much recovery time you have. If you stop doing the things that moved you down the road, the road's going to shorten up for you real quick and you're going to find yourself falling off a cliff. And that's what happens in relapse. And relapse, by the way, it doesn't matter how much recovery you have. A relapse can happen at any time. That's why they talk about the practicing um, of what you need to do with the tools and recovery. A quick example I like to use a lot is diabetes. If you've been diagnosed with diabetes and you're checking your blood sugar level every day and you're putting insulin in your body to survive and you're nutritionally balancing what you put in your body, you're exercising, if you were to stop doing that, you would get very ill, very sick, and potentially die. So it's just as important with you know recovery is to know that relapse is going to be part of it could be and you need to understand that it's it happens and that you've got to pick yourself up and you've got to talk about it and you've got to know that it's it's not a failure it's just something that happens with the changes that your body mind and and, and gut are going through to get you to the you know the tools you need the practice you need and organically change the way you you know process things that happen in your world so uh, it can be prevented, even though such a high rate of individuals relapse, it can be prevented. How, again, is that, are they able to uh, prevent relapse? Well, for me, and, and it's a really, you know, I'm going to make it a personal thing because I don't think there's any secret, uh, you know, if there was one way to do it. Uh, for me, it was just once you, first of all, I all, always encourage people to get into a recovery program. You know, and I'm not even going to get into, you know, we've talked about it the last, you know, podcast we did about the different levels of treatment and there are different levels of treatment. And I think one size does not fit all. So I don't want someone to hear this and go, well, that's not me. Well, if you're suffering from the disease of addiction, if you have an issue with self-medicating and you want to get clean and sober, there's a variety of different ways to go about it. And then once you've stopped and you've addressed the, the addiction side of it, you know, the part that after you get post and past detox. Now you've got to work on, I call it the life program, learning how to live life on life's terms. And so for me, the, I call it the relapse prevention. And that's really what it was. It was a conscious decision each day that not only did I not want to drink and use, but more importantly, I didn't want to have to approach each day that way. I wanted to get the tools that I needed. So when I woke up in the morning, the urge wasn't there. The craving wasn't there. And that goes away. That physical craving and, and the physical addiction tends to diminish over time if you're doing what you need to do. And then the psychological part of it, if you will, the, the physiological part of it, that comes over time. It takes time to do that. So I went to my outpatient program. I went to recovery meetings. I got 
connected to the social model. I hung out with people that were in recovery, like-minded people that were trying to change their life like I was. And that's where I spent my time. I meditated in the morning. I wrote a, I had a journal that I noted in the morning, in the afternoon, and throughout the day. In the beginning, I used to call my, you know, my people uh, as often as I needed to. And the days that I wasn't, or the days I wasn't going to meetings, I tried to, you know, make sure that they knew to kind of connect with me as well. So to check in with me as well and to let me know that what I wanted from them was I wanted their help. I wanted them to throw me a lifeline and go, hey, Scott, where are you? We haven't seen you in a while. And that's what getting connected to recovery is about for me. Does relapse automatically mean, if, say, for instance, if you began your recovery institutionalized, does relapse mean you need to go back and start over again? Or can you kind of regroup and continue on from where you are? Well, you know, I, that's a great question. And I think people, you know, generally, for example, one of the things that happens in traditional recovery is you kind of count your sober days, you know, 30, 60, 90, six months, a year, and so on and so forth. And, and there's a thing in um, um I've heard the terms used periodically and sometimes some people call it a slip. Uh, some people call it a relapse. Some people call it, you know, using again. And there's a term called therapeutic relapse where somebody's gone along, they've got a few months together and they just have a really unusual day or just out of a reflex, you know, they, they, they stop at their favorite place. They always went to for years and they go in and take a drink and then they realize what's happened and they make some phone calls. And the next day um, they get right back, you know, in the program. Technically, there's, there's arguments on both sides of that. You know, do they have to start over again? If they're, if it was, I, you know, I don't even know if there's such a term as an accidental relapse. I mean, you pick up a drink, you pick up a drink, but you know, I was never an accidental drunk. I always had a conscious decision to do it, but it was, you know, I was an autopilot. So I would say that, you know, it's, it's a personal thing. Most people will start their recovery over again. The clock starts over again, but you still have, you don't lose the knowledge. And it really depends on, you know, if you go out and you stay out for a while, week, two weeks, months, a year or, or more, that's clearly, you know, defined as a relapse. But, you know, I remember once I was at a dinner and I took a sip of something by mistake and, you know, I went to the bathroom, threw up and I called my sponsor. I said, what do I do? He goes, did you order that drink? I said, no. He says, did you want to drink it? I said, no. He says, well, then it's not really a relapse. So, but that was kind of unusual. But I, w I would tell people that, you know, you, you talk to the people you're closest to and you, you get their buy-in um, because you really don't want to be, you really don't want to be making a decision on your own that you, you didn't do something you really did because you're just lying to yourself and that's just going to come back to bite you. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yes, it does. Um, in fact, I was going to ask again, uh, what can be done after a relapse occurs? If you can just go a little bit more into detail about each situation and how it can be approached. You know, a simple analogy, I think, is kind of like they say, have you ever been, you know, thrown off a horse, you know, ever fallen off a bike, you get back on. And, it, and you, don't, you don't run and hide, and you understand that it does happen. And I really want to encourage people that, you know, when, when it happens to somebody, they shouldn't be judged, even if it's something chronic, because it, it takes what it takes to get clean and sober and get in recovery and some people take longer than others and some people need more work than others and some people just don't get it right away and there are some people that don't get it period so i really just you know you if you if it happens to you you know someone happens to you you encourage yourself or you encourage the loved one to maybe potentially go back and call their 
you know, if they have a recovery coach or they have a treatment center they went through or an outpatient program they belong to or a group they went to that they just, you know, maybe go with them to that first meeting when they go back so they're not as alone as they might feel and introduce themselves. We have a saying in the program, you introduce yourselves if you're inside of, you know, uh, if you've relapsed or you're inside of 30 days, it's kind of the norm. Anyone here within less than 30 days want to introduce themselves. The idea is to let people know that you went out and that you're back. And that's the important part. You're back. So your willingness to, you know, stay with it is really important because at the end of the day, when you think about it, if you don't come back, what are your options? Jails, institutions, or death. So I think it's important. And when you come back, you know, you, whatever level of care you might need, you seek and you get your, you know, you talk to the people that helped you get to where you were and you let people know around you that something like that's already happened, but you really want to address it and you want to move forward. So bottom line, relapse is almost assured if you're in recovery, but it can be prevented and it does not mean that you have failed. Fa it just, correct. It just, right. It just means that you have a hiccup and right. you can go back to where you were and become, uh, get back into recovery and live your life normally. Right. You know, it's funny you use the word hiccup. And I, I remember somebody told me once, well, yeah, the hiccups only last me for two years. And, and that it's not supposed to be a justification for going back out and staying out. What it is, is just simply something that happened. But look, a good example of setting yourself up for success would be, you know, there's a saying, you, you, you change your playmates, your play places and play things. So, for example, if, if you just spent 28 days in, in, a, in a program or, you know, two months in an outpatient program, but you're still going to the bar you were drinking in, that's just inappropriate behavior. Why would you be doing that? And if one of the things that you did, if you drank at home and you live alone and you keep booze in the house and you have a drinking problem, you're going to make it even harder for yourself. So there's things that you need to be doing in the structure of your recovery to, to at least minimize the exposure you might have to a relapse. So for example, if you're a, you know, you work, you, you work all day and you go to happy hour. Well, if happy hour is where you drank, don't go to happy hour for a little while, go to a meeting during happy hour, find, find a place to be in lieu of where it used to be. If that's where, your hot spots were, if that's where the landmines were, try to stay away from them for a little while. And if you've got friends who were your drinking friends and that's what you did together, maybe you need to take a time out with those friends for a little while, be honest with them if you want or not, and just take a little time out while you try to process what's going on. Think of it as physical rehab if you had broken your leg. You know, you get your cast, you know, you're, you get that muscular, you know, imbalance after being casted up for six weeks and you get out of it and you go to physical therapy. So there's a process with recovery as well. There's therapy, there's follow-up, there's outpatient, and then there's the recovery meetings and the social models uh, that if you choose to get support, but don't do it alone. That's the hard part. Don't do it alone. Okay. I think we'll end it there. Scott, do you have any positive affirmation for us today? You know, there's so much going on in the world right now. I would say love yourself today, love others today, listen with your heart, and sit down and talk with each other. And do as much listening as you do talking, because we need a lot more love in the world today. <laughs>